It is the 200 level episode 61, a bonus episode, the eve of the moment. And I don't want to get too hyperbolic here, but I decided to come to the basement on the eve, so to speak, of the Maryland and then a few days later the Michigan State game because this is the biggest stretch of two games at the State Farm Center, even dating all the way back to the Assembly Hall since 2001. And I want to get into the moment that we're about to experience that I hope we get to experience as Illini fans. And I just really kind of felt compelled to come down to the basement for a quick solo show, maybe about an hour, something that you could listen to on Thursday at work or Thursday or Friday on your way to and from work, or maybe even on your way to the State Farm Center Friday evening. Quick reminder that our sponsors of the 200 level include DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices and hopefully a place that you can get a celebratory calzone when all is said and done Friday and Tuesday evenings. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com, and we have a cool thing going with them, a coupon code 200LEVEL or THE 200LEVEL will get you 10% off your order at 4thandkirby.com or stop by the Illini Union Bookstore for their apparel. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your life, auto, home, renters, business insurance needs, visit brianismyguy.com. All of their staff, born and raised in Champaign-Urbana, but they service a little bit outside the community, too, so it's worth a shot at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquire, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Those are the particulars, but, you know, as I sit down here and kind of reflect on what we have done so far this first year of the relaunch of the 200 level, we began, Brightweiser and myself, with a most consequential year. I think that was episode 36 or 37, so it's been quite a bit. And for the most consequential year, Brightweiser and I talked about how you make a bowl game, you make the tournament, and everything seems to be trending in the right direction. Now, football did their job, right? They hit that benchmark of making a bowl game, though I think there are plenty of questions long-term about the viability of Lovey Smith as this recruiting class looks to be bad in context to your competitors in the Big Ten. Then you have basketball. And for, I think, a lot of people, myself included, it was all about just making the tournament. Well, what I did not anticipate is that you could make the tournament and on top of that, maybe even sort of arrive back to some sort of national relevance. Never would have anticipated that back after the Miami game, or let alone when you were trailing 27 points to Miami at home. Couldn't have guessed that after the Missouri game. Probably did not guess that after January 2nd at Michigan State when I thought, something's broken. This thing is disjointed. And then the month that we've had, culminating in a seven-game win streak, and then, yeah, loss at Iowa. But after going back into the last 20 years of Illinois at Carver-Hawkeye, a seven-point loss, you take it. You move on. Not that big of a deal. So the eve of the moment. Why did I call this episode the eve of the moment? Well, first off, play on words. Heat of the moment. Was it Asia that had that song back in the 80s? Heat of the moment. Eve of the moment. Being Maryland and Michigan State. And I would have to go back 19 years to 2001, the last time that there was a two-game stretch at home that had this much weight on it. And yeah, of course, there have been individual moments. The 0405 season, all those games at home were a blast, but it was that Wake Forest game, of course, that signaled you were the best team in the nation that year. But Bill Self's first year, going back to 2001, you had had Seton Hall back in December 2000, but it was that first Paint the Hall Orange game on February 6, 2001, when you beat Michigan State 77-66, to that signaled you were more than just good. You were, in fact, great and you probably weren't going anywhere for a while. We knew the roster, if it stayed intact, was going to be competing for Big Ten championships. They did, year in, year out. You knew that Bill Self was a fantastic coach. He has proven that, of course, over his Hall of Fame career. But that game, the first paint the whole orange night, was also symbolic in that it showed Illinois fans were ready for that moment. And I will never forget that Tuesday night, a 6 o'clock tip, my dad and I walking into that stadium and knowing that this was different, that this was special. The crowd was absolutely electric, and the only time I've ever heard that stadium louder than that would have been the Wake Forest game, and maybe individual moments like Andy Kaufman, the shot back in 1993. But for a sustained game, for 40 minutes of game action, that place was unbelievable, and it was something that I felt like, we're going to have this forever. And that might have been youth, but I don't think I was the only person in that stadium thinking that. It felt like we were here to stay, and we had arrived on a national stage, and we weren't going anywhere. So you get an 11-point win on Paint the Hall Orange Night back in 2001. Basking in the glow. I remember leaving the stadium, and it was still 8 o'clock when the game got over. So 
A bunch of neighborhood friends came back over to my parents' place. They had kind of a little bit of a party on a Tuesday night, if you want to call it that, which usually we reserve that for Friday or Saturday. But everybody recognized this was a huge deal. The following week, and this is after on a Saturday afternoon, Illinois went into Purdue and won by like 18 points. Wisconsin came to town. Now, they were 19th in the nation. I think it was Soderberg was their coach for that two, three-year period. And they were leading by seven, eight points in the second half, and it didn't feel good because that Wisconsin team, like the Wisconsin teams we've grown accustomed to, an eight-point deficit feels like 20. Illinois clawed their way back into it, and then they had the inbounds pass from Harrington to Marcus Griffin, the buzzer beater. 68-67, Illinois wins. Stays on the path for a Big Ten title. I think at that point, Illinois was the top five team in the nation, and it just reaffirmed that, yes, we had arrived. We were going to stay at this level for the foreseeable future. And I don't know if that's necessarily what we're facing. Time will tell. You know, I don't know if that's what we're going to get in the Maryland and Michigan State games coming up here, but it feels like it could be. It feels like you are at a moment where if you take care of business these two games, you will be in the Big Ten race the rest of the year. Okay, that goes without saying. But more than that, you look to set yourself up for some longevity on a few fronts. One, longevity with the fans. Uh, The the stadium on Friday night, I I cannot wait to get back into that environment. And I'll get to that in a bit, how, how long it's been since I've even been in the State Farm Center. But you know that everyone's chomping at the bit because they know what this means. They know that if you win this Maryland and Michigan State game, that arena over there, will feel like it did back in the day. And it can feel that way consistently for the next few years. So yeah, from a fan's perspective, you feel like we're right there. We're knocking on the door of returning to the glory days. We're starting our own new five, six, seven-year period like we did in the early 2000s. From a program perspective, you have a team right now that is constructed with eight deep that you like. And that would be Feliz and Kipper and... Alan Griffin off the bench, and yeah, DeMonte in the starting lineup, you get what you give DeMonte, but you like your eight deep. You feel like you have your roster that can continue to uh, succeed this year, even into the Big Ten and the NCAA tournaments. And then going forward, you feel like there might be some long-term success, because if Io goes pro, like we suspect he will, then you get Adam Miller in here, along with Andre Crubello. Kofi, much as we all love Kofi, we're seeing that maybe he isn't that one-and-done type guy. He does have weaknesses, and hey, he comes back all of a sudden next year, you might be set up for an even better year than what you're having right now. Add all the transfers, the wing position has a lot more depth next year. It feels like, wait a second, we might actually be able to stabilize this thing and turn it into something for the foreseeable future. So on a lot of fronts, this feels like the moment. And by winning these two games, you will have arrived not just in our own backyard in Champaign-Urbana, where the buzz is already palpable. John Rothstein was the one that had tweeted that out. Palpable buzz. Cannot disagree with that. But nationally, and this is what's been so cool about this recent resurgence with Illinois basketball, is that you're seeing these media types, whether it be John Rothstein or whether it be guys at halftimes of games on Big Ten Network or FS1 or even ESPN, saying, boy, it's nice to have Illinois back. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't have a direct quote for that. But it seems like the manner in which these media personalities are talking about Illinois, talking national personalities. They are acknowledging, you know what, it's good to have these guys back in the picture. Well, you will have firmly planted yourself in the national picture if you win these next two games. These are top 20 matchups. Illinois 20th in the nation, Maryland 9th. Michigan State, presuming they take care of business this week against Penn State and Michigan, then you're going to probably have a top 10 Michigan State team as well. So an opportunity to win two games at home consecutively against top 10 programs. Now, none of us would be surprised if Illinois wins these games. For me, it's an odd position to be in, though, feeling like, man, as long as we don't screw this up, I think we're going to win both. And to me, that's a weird sense of confidence that I haven't had as a fan in a long time, well over a decade. More than anything, though, as I hear these people talk about it, national types, again, going outside the Champaign-Urbana bubble, it's the sense that we do belong. Illinois basketball belongs in the national conversation, and it feels like we are planting that flag and saying, we're back, we're here, we're going to stick around for a while. So the eve of the moment, right? Here we go. Maryland, Michigan, State. Five days, two games, and so much at stake, I think. And if you do lose one of them, that's fine. You know, I mean, it's going to suck. Let's be real. If you do lose one of these two games, uh, there will be a little bit of that air coming out of a balloon feeling, right? If you lose both of them, well, that would be a bummer. But I don't anticipate that happening. I don't, because when you look at what's happened the last month, and even the Iowa game, if you want to lump that in with the seven-game win streak, this team 
is grittier and tougher than sometimes I feel like we even acknowledge. When you overcome a first two months of the season like they did, where this thing was not quite coalescing, they figured it out. They figured out what their strength is. Their defense has continually been a strength. At home, they tend to hit a few more three-pointers than they do on the road. And I think when you couple that with the fact that Michigan State on the road, they're having their struggles, and Maryland on the road, they've gotten a couple in a row, that they kind of stole one at Indiana, and they've lost a few Big Ten games on the road as well and look pedestrian doing so. This is a great shot. And I think one that, as an Illinois fan, don't be surprised when Illinois is favored in both games by probably, you know, two and a half, three points. Not a lot. That's essentially saying that this is a toss-up game, but it does happen to be at the State Farm Center. But I was thinking about that, too, how long it's been since I've been at the State Farm Center for a game. I think I've been to a couple concerts there. But Michigan State 2018, I think, was the last game that Kara and I went to. And that would have been Brad Underwood's first year. Things were already starting to kind of fall apart. My first night of student teaching, my, the night after I student taught for the first time, and I was exhausted. I wasn't really in the mood. And I probably wore that on my face. I just was not into it. As many of us by that point in Brad Underwood's first year were not all that into it. But I haven't been since. I'm, I, and I'm trying to think if there was one other game I went to. But no, I've not been back to State Farm Center to watch a game since then. And the first two years of Brad Underwood, you know, they didn't feel all that great. They didn't look all that great with a few glaring exceptions. And you go back to year two, and the Maryland and the Michigan State games were two of those. And guess what? Those were your opponents coming up. But I was thinking back to all the memories that I've had there, and Trevor had had a text with me and Isaac last week during the Minnesota game, how he was getting emotional being in attendance for that game, what was a sellout. Turned out to be a sellout that last Thursday night. And I'm wondering what my reaction will be on Friday, because this is a place I've been to uh, you know, literally hundreds of times in my life back when it was Assembly Hall, the now State Farm Center. And there are a few different things. Of course, the, the renovation, post-renovation State Farm Center is different than the Assembly Hall, but it's essentially the same sort of thing because as you walk in, there's that strong visual of the spaceship in the middle of, of a prairie that we've all grown so accustomed to. And you walk through those doors, what used to be the concourse between C and B, now the concourse between the 200 and 100 level. That's where we enter take our seats. And even though they might be a little bit different than the seats I grew up in, it's still the same place. It's a place where I've seen countless Illini basketball memories made and felt like I've been a part of it. And that's been a part of my identity. So as I return for the first time in two years, I'm having these sort of feelings of anxiety, almost nerves. You know, I mean, is it okay for me to go back to this place after I has essentially not shunned, but been very cynical about where this was going, have not felt good about where this was going. Is it okay for me to do that? Yeah, it is. It's okay for any Illini fan that was down on this program to do that. You don't need to apologize for being down on the last 10 years. You don't need to apologize for not going to games the last 10 years because you weren't given many reasons to do so. But I wonder if I'll have that emotional reaction. I can kind of envision it right now with you know four or three minutes to go before they start doing starting lineups and everything as people have kind of gathered in their seats at, let's say, 6.50 p.m. on Friday evening at the State Farm Center. People probably good and liquored up for a Friday evening game. I mean, a 7 o'clock tip on a Friday night. How perfect is that for a little bit of pregame happy hour action? I think that will be the moment. Right before starting live, so I look around at the Sea of Orange with all the new bells and whistles that they have as part of this game day experience, and kudos to them for making it more like a pro basketball environment. And that will be the moment, soaking it in. As my dad and I, who we had to go on StubHub to get an extra pair of tickets because my sister and brother-in-law are using my parents' tickets. And I insisted. I was like, Dad, we got to, you know, you want to go halvesies with me on this? 70 bucks a piece for a ticket, but it's worth it. This is something that we should probably experience and something that if it goes right, we will remember for a long time as the resurgence, the reemergence of Illinois basketball and a home court advantage that when it gets going... It stays there for a while. I mean, my God, how many home games did they lose between 2000 and 2006? I could count on one hand probably, maybe three, if I'm trying to think back to that six, seven-year run. So I, I know I'm going to have an emotional reaction. I don't know if I'm going to tear up. I don't know if it's just going to be a chill down the back of my spine. What is that going to feel like? But it's going to feel, I think, a little bit odd for a few minutes, and then it's going to quickly become familiar. Because this is what we are used to as Illini fans. And yeah, I know it's been a bad decade, very bad decade. But we are used to being relevant in the Big Ten. We're used to having a home court advantage that we look forward to going to these games. We are used to this being 
a hot ticket, even if it has been a decade since it has been a hot ticket. Why did I stop going? You know, I was thinking about that too. And in the last 10 years, it's been this weird mix of Illinois basketball and football not succeeding and me becoming a professional broadcaster. Because back in the day when I would have started, you know, with 1071 back in 2003, I was still very much a fan. I didn't have to pretend to be anything else. And Illinois basketball was so good that it was just hunky-dory. Whenever we went on a line I drive at five or standing room only was what it was called at first on 1071, it was easy to just talk as fans because, well, it was easy to be a fan. Illinois basketball was good. But from 2010 until basically this year, that was when I was at 93.5 and talking about it, if not on a daily basis, two to three times a week with Lon or Jeremy or both of them. And that lack of success on the court mixed with having to talk about it more and more and having to do it you know, professionally, that led to me becoming a little bit more detached or as detached I have ever been as a fan, where I became more of an observer sometimes that if Illinois were to lose a game, I'd just shrug it off, turn the TV off and move on with my day or my night. Not a big deal. I mean, this happened as recently as the Michigan State game on January 2nd. I didn't feel like I had much skin in the game because they hadn't shown me reason to put skin in the game. They get blown out in the second half against Michigan State. Eh, Whatever, let's go watch old episode of Grey's Anatomy. Don't judge me on that. But now that I do have that skin in the game again, I'm like, man, if only I could have had this back when we did the Daily Show on 93.5. And, you know, Lon and Jeremy and Derek, they're doing a great job over there. Trevor, too, and Austin as well. And what we have over here is something unique, too. And uh, it's cool to be able to come down here and respond whenever. But it's a hell of a lot easier to do so when they're winning. I mean, this is a bonus podcast where I just figured I need to get down here and sort of reflect on my experiences as a fan, my journey in the last 10 years as a fan slash broadcaster slash observer, and now all the way back to crazed fan that really wants to win these two games coming up. But it was easy, to be quite honest with you. It was easier than I would have hoped to turn my back on things that have been so important to me. And of course, not turn my back completely. I watch every game. I respond to every game. I have at least a tiny bit of an emotional reaction to every game, but I had become somewhat numb and apathetic to a lack of success. Where it used to give me that fire in the belly, you know, and occasionally it did. You could go back to 200 levels over the last year. It still did on occasion. But I was reaching a point where it's like, my God, I need to see something. I need to see something to get excited about, or I just simply cannot fake it. I cannot fake enthusiasm or excitement for something that doesn't give me reason to be so. But at the end of the day, the reason that this two-game stretch in five days coming up is so meaningful to me is that for 33 years of my life, since I've been conscious, you know, since I've actually been creating memories and I don't have to go back and look at baby pictures to remember these, these are things that I've lived and can distinctly remember. At least 28 of those 33 years, I've been an avid Illinois fan, consuming any basketball game, most football games. But you know what? You can have football. I'll be honest, I got to give Robert from Illini credit, the fact that he is, you know, carrying that Illini football flag better than most any fan could, given their lack of success historically. But for me, it's an easy equation. If Illinois basketball is doing well, Illinois football can suck, and that's okay. That's been most of my life, so it's just what I'm used to, and I'm, I'm okay with it. My identity is so much more intertwined with what goes on at State Farm Center than what goes on Memorial Stadium. And that relationship began back probably in 1992, 93, and that would have coincided with the Bulls winning their third title. So everything was bliss. You know, it was Lou Henson, the tail end of the Lou Henson era. They made tournaments. They weren't great, but they were good. You know, you could count on them to win 19, 20 games a year, make the tournament. And that's where we want to get back to first, right? I mean, we'll take that plateau before we start thinking Big Ten titles, even though they might check both of those off the list this year. But when I was five years old, you know, coinciding with going to the games with my parents and my sister. VHS tapes of the 89 team are what showed me that this could be something more than what I was even experiencing at the assembly hall. The Nick Anderson buzzer beater, that game was on VHS. We'd recorded it. I guess it was the night of a blizzard or an ice storm or some really bad weather because they kept on having the weather alerts come across the TV screen. But on Saturday mornings when I was five, six years old, we would put that on, I don't know, once a month or so. And I would watch at least the second half of that game where I think it was uh, John Edwards, Ian Edwards, Jay Edwards, that was the guy's name, had a field day 
against Illinois in the second half. But Nick Anderson was unconscious all game long, got the game-winning shot, of course. I mean, that's a part of Illini lore. But remembering the reaction that Dick Vitale had and the reaction on the sidelines and seeing that number next to Illinois' name, which I think was, they were certainly top 10 even after the Kendall Gill injury, but probably like fifth or fourth in the nation, and thinking, oh my God, we were that good? Like we were top five, top 10 in the nation? Because what I knew for Illinois basketball early on in my life was, again, 1921 is a year, but not ranked. They'd make the tournament, but they weren't not a top 25 team. So it gave me that little seed in my mind that, you know, this can be something special. It can be more than just good. But at that age, good is good enough. You know, just going to the games, getting your popcorn at the first media timeout, as my dad and I would often do. That was enough. But it's like scaffolding. You start building these things up as a fan. You start adding memories. So what was first going to games and enjoying them, watching 88, 89 VHS tapes about how good that team was in 1993 was the first big moment at the Assembly Hall. And that was the Andy Kaufman shot. And at that age, I didn't quite understand all the context behind it. I knew that my parents did not like Iowa at all, that they hated Tom Davis. And there was this guy named Bruce Pearl. I knew of that. But the whole situation, I'm sure they tried to explain it to me at that age, is just in one ear and out the other. And I don't even remember, when I was younger at least, I don't remember the ball kind of bouncing off of Deion Thomas's shoulder and into the hoop to give Iowa a lead weight. But I do remember how loud it was in there when Andy Kaufman made that shot. Oddly enough, my sister and mom had left. When Iowa took that one-point lead, they left the stadium thinking it was over. And I'm sure my dad said something along the lines of, you know, it's happened before. We're going to sit in here and see if we can't get a buzzer beater. And sure enough, just like that VHS tape of Nick Anderson making that shot, I saw one in person. And that building erupted, the likes of which, for a single moment, I don't think it has since. And why would it? It had to be the most cathartic thing as an Illini fan back in 1993 to experience that. So now we're scaffolding. We're building as a fan. We got 88, 89 VHS tapes. We got the late Lou Henson era. We have the moment with Andy Kaufman's shot. There was another one where the Illini Pepsi Classic, if people remember that, Illinois would play two scrub teams on a Friday, Saturday. They would always be crowned the Illini Pepsi Classic champions. And my dad and a neighborhood friend, Doug, we got to the stadium early and someone with promotions found me. I would have been like eight, nine years old and said, do you want to be in the halftime show? And I said, well, sure. And what I had to do was start baseline, go to half court, put on a adult size Illini jersey, practice jersey, and then dribble back to the hoop where I came from to make a layup. Well, I got to half court, got the jersey on, and I made the layup, but the problem is I kept going straight to the wrong basket. They gave me a Game Boy anyways, but that was my first time actually on the floor. Little did I know that, you know, uh, what would that be, 24 years later or whatever, I'd be on the stage with the Foo Fighters at the same place. But at that moment, that was cool enough. Illini Pepsi Classic probably against Coppin State or something like that. But then there was this weird period at the end of the Henson era and early Lon Kruger where, you know, you enjoy it, but you're still 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. For me, it was one weekend in 1999 that probably flipped that switch from casual fan that enjoys it because your family watches all the games to hardcore Illini basketball fan, and this is going to stick for the rest of my life. And that was the Big Ten tournament in 1999 from a Thursday through Sunday. Thursday was parent-teacher conferences at school. This is approaching spring break. So how perfect is this, right? You know, you're in sixth grade. I think that was when I was in sixth grade. And you go to parent-teacher conferences Thursday night. On the way home, watch Illinois beat Minnesota, a ranked Minnesota team. The next night, at a sleepover with a friend, Friday night, Illinois beats Indiana. Always felt good to beat Indiana. I knew that at that age. On Saturday, you beat a highly ranked Ohio State team. And then all of a sudden, as a sub-500 team, you're a win away from making the NCAA tournament. And I remember thinking, you know, I asked my dad after that Saturday game against Ohio State, I think we had to go up to the local CVS to get some beer to bring back to our neighborhood friend's house. Because, I mean, this was, this was celebratory. This was amazing what we were watching. And I had to ask him, is this a big deal? And he said, yeah, this is a huge deal. This is something that you're going to remember. And sure enough, that was the moment that probably hooked me on Illinois basketball more than any other was that weekend. Because it was a precursor to all the success that would come the next six, seven seasons of Illinois basketball. Lon Kruger's final year, you get a four seed in the tournament. Don't win the Big Ten title that year. You get your butts kicked by Florida, and then you get Bill Self. And of course, we all know what happens there. But there were other things too. I'm just re reflecting here, and if this is me rambling, I apologize. But as, we, as we're on the eve of this Maryland game, I couldn't help but think of 
this journey that you take as a fan, and we've all taken different journeys. And if you're listening to this podcast, 99.9% chance Illinois basketball means a lot to you. You know, why would you be consuming a podcast, especially one so macro as this, if you didn't have part of your identity tied up with Illinois sports, namely Illinois basketball? You know, self came here in 2001. And I was actually on my first Illini beat back in 2003. This is Bill Self's last year, and it was right before the season. And I pitched to our high school newspaper, The Echo. I said, hey, you know, I can try to get access uh, to go cover the Illinois basketball team and do a season preview article. And I emailed Kent Brown, and he was nice enough to get me in there. And Bill Self was nice enough to actually give me like a 10-minute interview, one-on-one. I had an index card with my questions. I had my tape recorder. And he took his time. He didn't have to do that. And then Brian Cook, same thing, 10 questions, probably 10 minutes, gave me actual answers. They didn't patronize me. They weren't trying to talk down to me or anything. They treated me like an actual journalist. I actually covered a couple games that year courtside. Kent Brown hooked me up. And, you know, appreciate that. I know that I probably don't have the best relationship with the DIA now, but back then they were always very kind and accommodating for whenever I wanted to do a season preview article or cover a game. But, you know, then all of a sudden you're you're getting into this weird mix of talking and covering the team and yet still being a crazy fan about it. Now, lucky for me, when it comes to professionally and talking about it, I've been able to balance those two things. I've been able to be a fan. I've been able to be someone that covers the team and find a niche because I learned when I was at the U of I in journalism that if you wanted to be a journalist, you needed to have objectivity. And I can have that for certain things, but I could not pretend to have that for Illinois sports. And I thought, man, if I could just get this graduate degree and then basically take over for Lauren Tate and just write a column and not have to cover the games objectively, that'd be great. Well, it's not that easy. And that's how radio and now podcasting gives me that avenue to do that. So 2003 was when that transition first started taking place. Got on 107.1, did that for a few years. It's still in the golden age of Illini basketball. But man, the last 10 years, you know, to think that when Tay and Jay and then Tay and Carp and 93.5 was becoming a viable sports talk place for Illini fans, not just in town, but for anybody that streamed us anywhere that we just didn't have any success to talk about and still had as much fun as we did. I'm thinking, Oh my God, we just, you know, we had to just make it over the hump here to get to this point where we could actually talk about success. You know, Lon and Jeremy and I would often joke about, man, if only this show had been on from 2000 to 2010 and there were some rough moments in there. I mean, certainly the Jamar Smith, the 2007, 2008 year, that would have been rough, but there were so many successes on the court that it would have been, it would have blown up. Let's be honest. When Illinois sports or namely basketball are doing well, it just trickles into every single thing associated with it, including this podcast or 93.5 or 1400. Any Illini related thing, people want to consume it. I can relate. I want to consume everything now too. And I'm doing so in preparation for this Illinois Maryland game thinking, okay, wait a second, this, this, I'm getting that same sort of tingly feeling in my stomach that I got back in 2001, knowing that we could arrive. This was our moment. So I've been thinking about all this and reflecting, and if I rambled a bit, I do apologize for that. But the thing that I keep coming back to is that this matters. Sports matter. And I don't want to get hyperbolic. And I really hate when people get overly nostalgic or wax poetic about something that they have no control over. We have no control over these games. We are merely spectators and we are cheering for a jersey name. Okay, we're cheering for colors, orange and blue. And it really doesn't matter who the players are. As long as they win games, we're going to be happy regardless of who is wearing that jersey. So sports are a weird thing in that way. As a Yankees fan, so many players have come and go, but I'm still a Yankees fan. Why? I don't know. Just him. Bears fan. But other than the Yankees winning a World Series, which I've seen five of those in my lifetime, and if they don't win one for another few years, okay, I'll be bummed, but I'll get over it. But Illinois basketball, and I know I'm not alone in this, Illinois basketball winning a national title would be the single biggest thing of my sports life as a fan. Nothing would top it. And this is for someone that got to experience the Bulls winning six out of eight, seeing five Yankee championships, seeing the Bears make the Super Bowl back in 2006 when I was at the U of I as a student getting to share that with everybody. 
going to the Rose Bowl in 2007. You know, I've had a pretty charmed existence despite the last decade as an Illini fan. So I don't want anyone to play the world's smallest violin for fanboy carp. But, you know, the one thing that always was different, my dad and I talked about this, with the Yankees, there was something cool about feeling like it's our own thing. It's kind of our private club with our family. We like the Yankees. No one else really does. And that's our thing. And there is something cool about that. There's no doubt. It's like liking a band that still plays in theaters or small venues. You're part of that small club and it's yours. Well, in this community, though, as an Illini basketball fan, the benefit of that is being able to share that joy when things are going well with everybody around you. You know, I'm thinking back to my high school years and when we, we had off-campus lunch back then. And in 0405, I was a senior in high school. Talk about perfect timing. Yeah, it would have been amazing to be a freshman at the U of I, but to be a senior in high school at Urbana High School, when all this was going on and having all my friends, we were all basketball crazy and just infatuated with this team. We would drive over to campus to Antonio's Pizza by the Slice or Zaz. And it took us a few extra minutes and we had to pay for parking and all that, but we felt like we were in the center of the universe. We were on campus where the number one team in the nation was playing. And that felt like a big deal. We were walking amongst legends, you know. There's a story that I may or may not have told on 93.5 back in the day. And this was in the 0405 season. This is, I think, a week, week and a half after Illinois beat Wake Forest at home. So they were number one. And winter break had just begun for us at Urbana High School. And my friend Andrew and I are out of the mall. And we get this text from our friend named Isaac. And Isaac, I think, still lives in town. I need to actually catch up and see what he's up to. And he said, hey, uh, do you want to hang out with Dee and Darren tonight? Because somehow Isaac had gotten to know these guys a little bit. And from some people that had graduated from Urbana the year before, they lived across the hall from them out at this apartment complex. So we said, oh, my God, yes, of course. So on a Saturday night, let's call it 7, 8 o'clock, we roll over to Darren and Luther's apartment. And we walk in, wide-eyed, starstruck seniors in high school. And we are now sitting on a couch with Luther and Dee. I think sitting over on the kitchen table, if I recall, was Sean Pruitt and Richard McBride. Darren popped in very briefly. Said, hey, what's up? And then he left. And we were playing Madden with Dee and Luther and getting in this discussion about whether Brian Urlacher or Ray Lewis was the better linebacker. Now, again, back to this idea that I could never fully be objective about Illinois sports. When you're 18 years old, a senior in high school, and you're hanging out with guys that are on the number one team in the nation and part of the, arguably, the greatest Illini team of all time. I mean, this is a formative moment. This is, oh my God, I'm actually hanging out with legends. Because I've met some rock stars in my time. I've gotten to shake Bono's hand. But that moment with my friend Andrew and my friend Asher and Isaac hanging out with these guys, this was just, you know, come on. That's a memory that will never go away. And they were super cool. But then I think some girls came over and they asked us very nicely, hey, you gotta go. And we were like, got you guys, we'll, we'll leave. But that was enough for us. I think 30 minutes of probably probably all that we were there were 30 minutes playing a little bit of Madden and talking Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. I don't remember any other detail other than that. But we left out just walking on cloud night. Holy crap, we just hung out with Dee and Darren and Luther. Oh, my God. Uh, so, anyways, that was an aside. I'm thinking back, though, to that period and thinking we can have that period now, too. Okay, so if you're feeling like, man, is it okay for me to get greedy? Yes, it is okay for you to gr get greedy. As Illini fans, we have experienced the highest of highs before. Not the highest of high, unfortunately, by winning a national title. That can be done with basketball. With football, they never need to be even close to a national title, and that's okay. But we know they can do it with basketball. But on this journey to get towards, you know, really high up national relevancy, like talking top 10 finishes, is first making the tournament. And I said back in January that there were two check marks I was looking at. This probably would have been after the win at Wisconsin. The first check mark was just make the stupid tournament. And I think after the win at Wisconsin, we all felt pretty good that this team will find their way to the tournament. They can get a road win like that. They'll find their way to 20 wins or whatever they need to make the tournament. Well, then you go on the seven-game win streak, including wins at Purdue, a dominating, dominating win. The win at Michigan with the buzzer beater, or almost buzzer beater from Iowa. And you feel like now you're on a magical ride. And we don't know what the, the climax of this season is going to be. We don't know what the ceiling is yet. 
But we keep raising that floor, and the game at Iowa only continued to raise that floor, thinking, well, you know what? This team, even when they play essentially you know, a 6 out of 10 kind of game at Iowa, did not play their best, still had a great shot to win that thing with five minutes to go. At a place where no one's winning this year, no one's gonna, no other team's probably gonna win up a Carver Hawkeye this year. That's the kind of team they are at home. So I'm thinking, well, okay, we don't know what the ceiling is. We know as a fan base that this could be really good, and this could start on Friday with a very winnable game at home against Maryland. And yeah, get greedy, get greedy, especially if they win these two games. If we were to put percentages on it, I think we'd probably say 60% chance that Illinois wins both of these games. I don't think that's crazy because you are at home. I think you are ultimately just about as good as these two teams are. On a neutral site, I would say Illinois would win five and Maryland would win five and ten. On a neutral site, I would say Illinois would win five and Michigan State would win five on a neutral site. So what about at State Farm Center? I'm thinking Illinois wins most of those games. Full disclosure, I am recording this on Tuesday. Because Wednesday we got a band jam, we got great cover up coming up. But I wanted to get this out Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, so everybody had at least 24 hours to consume it before Friday when we were all going to be gripped in Illini basketball fever. So I don't know what happened between the Maryland and Rutgers game or the Michigan State Penn State game. That could certainly alter the Big Ten race. And as I record this on a Tuesday, I'm hoping that Maryland, in fact, does not lose to Rutgers because I'd never like the idea of playing a team after a loss. You're going to get a team playing like a chicken with their heads cut off. They're going to be playing desperate, and I don't like that. A cornered dog. You don't want to deal with that. You want to deal instead with the team that they get a ho-hum win against Rutgers or a ho-hum win against Penn State and Michigan in the case of Michigan State. So again, full disclosure, I don't know as of recording what happens in this. But regardless of those results, and I'm assuming that Maryland beats Rutgers and that Michigan State beats Penn State. I went through these schedules, and I'm trying to find this path to Illinois winning the Big Ten. Here's what I keep coming back to. Real quick, I'm going to go through each team. So you got Maryland. And I like this matchup between Illinois and Maryland, and why shouldn't I? Back in December, you saw how Illinois should have won up there, if not for a 30-footer from Melo Tremble, of course. But you beat them last year at Madison Square Garden. In Brad Underwood's first year, you should have beat them here. You've had two games that they have snatched away from you. I like the mental aspect of this game, the fact that this team, this Illinois team, Should be hungry, considering what happened in December. But looking at the rest of this Maryland schedule, here's what we got. They have two games against Michigan State, home and away, at Illinois, at Ohio State, at Rutgers, at Minnesota. So let's assume that they split Michigan State. And let's say after that, they go 2-2 and on the road between Illinois, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Minnesota. The likeliest, I think, being at Ohio State and at Minnesota, those matchups. They do that, they're 14-6. and And that is assuming, again, as I record this on Tuesday, that they beat Rutgers at home. So 14-6, and very doable for this Maryland team that's playing better right now than they have been all season. Well, say for November, when they got all the way up to, I think, third in the nation. 14-6 and is right there for them. Michigan State, okay, so they got Penn State at home. Again, I don't know what's going to happen in that, so you will know by the time you listen to this. After that, they got at Michigan on Saturday, at Illinois after that, at Maryland, at Penn State. Now, we've seen this Michigan State team, and they have not been great on the road. They did have a blowout, essentially, at Minnesota on a Sunday afternoon, but at Wisconsin, a depleted Wisconsin without Davison or Kobe King, they looked bad for long stretches of that game, and that's not the first time they've looked rough on the road. At Purdue was another one. So let's say, I think this is actually realistic, at Michigan, at Illinois, at Maryland, at Penn State, three of those ranked teams, and one of them, Michigan, being a rival. One and three, and they win all the rest of their home games, but that includes Maryland, Iowa, and Ohio State. They have a tough schedule. So saying they win all those home games and they go one and three on the road, they're 14 and six. They go two and two on the road and win out at home, 15 and five. Illinois has a lot to say here about that, but I'm still thinking 14 and six would be a lot more likely than 15 and five. And that might even be generous considering how bad Michigan State's been on the road. Now for Illinois, they simply went out at home. They beat Northwestern at Northwestern, 14-6. and six. Let me repeat. If they win out at home and win at Northwestern, 14-6, and six, and in all likelihood, at least sharing a Big Ten title. Iowa is another one to look for. So they got at Purdue, at Indiana, at Minnesota, at Michigan State, at Illinois. Different team away from Carver-Hawkeye. They already have four Big Ten losses. They go two and three in that stretch, 
best they can do is 13 and 7. And I'm assuming they went out at home. But that's really it. The benchmark, if you want to talk Big Ten title, would be 14 and 6. You win these two home games, all of a sudden you're 10 and 3 in conference. And I don't think this team's done winning on the road. At Iowa was likely the toughest road game remaining for Illinois. When you consider the venue, when you consider how good Iowa is at home this year, how well they shoot there, that was the toughest one left, including at Ohio State. I'm glad that Illinois is not playing at Indiana. I never liked playing at Indiana. Why would you? I think it's been another 10 years since we've won there as well. But, you know, this is an opportunity, not just to hold serve at home, because if they do that, I think they will at least share the Big Ten title. This is, I can't believe that's coming out of my mouth. But if they win these two games at home, they are in the driver's seat, not hyperbole. They are in the driver's seat for the Big Ten title. And I really don't think they're going to lose out on the road. But it would be nice, other than the Northwestern game, to sneak one other at Penn State, I don't know, at Ohio State. At Rutgers, they're undefeated at home this year. And I'm thinking, okay, well, now there's a path to 15-5. and five, But I don't want to get crazy. That's why this Friday and Tuesday night are so essential to really the rest of the season. And the confidence level as a fan, I used to joke on Tay and Jay and Tay and Carp about the fan pressure. And you might say, well, what's fan pressure? The fan pressure is when you kind of tighten up and your bowels clench. <laughs> you, you pucker up, as Lon used to say on the show pucker up a little bit because you're nervous you know you're nervous and you want to win so bad and you can taste it and you just aren't sure and you don't even want to think about what it would be like if you lost that's where I'm at heading into these two games I've not really even considered what it would be like walking out of that stadium after losing to Maryland or Michigan State and in a way I want the Maryland game more because I want to know what it's like to go to that Michigan State game at nine and three with all the stuff on the line that would be there next Tuesday. I feel like you lose a little bit of that if you don't beat Maryland at home. Do they? That's the question. Do they win these two games? I think they do. Now, if I'm going off of hunches, I felt pretty good about the Iowa game, though I would not as went as far as to say that they were going to win it. Right? I thought that, hell, we got a shot. And sure enough, they had a shot. Um, that's not some sort of prophetic vision on my part, but it felt like the way this team is playing, I think the matchup's okay enough where they're going to hang around and they definitely won't get blown out. I would have been surprised by that, and they didn't. This is a tough team. Again, that's something that I cannot question after last month. They are a tough team that it would surprise me if in any of these Big Ten games they get the doors blown off of them. But I really do think they win these two games. I think the stadium is going to be electric, the likes of which it has not been since probably 2005, 2006, other than fleeting moments. You know, Illinois fans, you can say that they're coming out of the woodwork, but I really look at it more like if Illinois fandom was this sort of old-timey village and there's a town crier that has that bell and he rings it and says, hear ye, hear ye, and he gathers all the townspeople, that he comes out right when Illinois is ready to explode and make that big statement and says, all right, come out of your homes. We're ready to go. Come back to the State Farm Center. We welcome you back. We understand it has not been an easy 10 years, but we're ready. Hear ye, hear ye. We're your orange. Get loud. Okay. And I think that Illinois fans are ready to answer the bell here. The environment. The fact that these matchups are actually favorable for Illinois. I know it didn't go well the second half against Michigan State. But what's funny is now looking back on that game, as frustrated as I was in the aftermath of it, you can look at the last month of Illinois basketball and say truly, one, that was an aberration. And two... It was maybe as simple as you just couldn't make a damn shot. And that's why you lost like you did. What was Illinois? One for 19 from three? That's not going to happen at home. So you factor in the environment. You factor in the matchups. You factor in the, uh, the fact that this Big Ten, home teams are winning in this Big Ten. And Illinois already has three road wins in their pocket at three very tough venues. What an opportunity. You know, these games are probably not going to be blowouts. I would love to enter the eight-minute media timeout in the second half up by 15 against both of them and just kind of cruise to victory and be able to revel in the madness that will be at the State Farm Center. But there's going to be tense moments, and there's going to be moments where you feel like we might not win this, and boy, would that suck. It's going to enter our mind because there's still that creeping doubt that maybe we haven't arrived and maybe we aren't ready for this, but maybe we have. Maybe we have arrived, and maybe we are ready for this, and maybe we can win both games and find our way into the top 15 for sure 
But now the top four line in NCAA tournament projections. Because if you win two consecutive home games against likely two consecutive top ten opponents, you're going to stay there, barring a really bad end to the season. Unfortunately, the way that the schedule is set up, I don't foresee that either. You give yourself a little bit of margin for error, especially on the road. You lose one of these, then all of a sudden you got to get one more road win that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise gotten if you want to talk Big Ten title. You know, I, I try to caution myself with Big Ten title talk because what a jump to go from a 12-win overall, 12 wins in Brad Underwood's second year to all of a sudden, oh, you're knocking on the door of a Big Ten title against the big boys, against the Michigan States and the Marylands that have been doing this for a while, or at least in the top three, top four in the case of Maryland. But yeah, that's where you're at. You've played your way into this. You have played your way into the Big Ten title discussion and have set yourself up beautifully. Even if this team were 6-5, and five, we would enter these games with excitement. But the fact that they're 8-3 and three and are sharing the lead for the Big Ten uh, conference right now, it just makes everything all the bigger. And I think they're ready for it. I'm thinking about this team and the makeup of guys that you have on it. Io, who has not had a great three halves in a row, he's due for a big two games at home. These are show-me games for someone that will likely go pro. I have very little doubt in my mind that Io will be the I.O. that we've grown accustomed to in late-game situations. That is a checkmark in Illinois' favor. That Trent Frazier, someone who is a junior, but really has kind of, it feels like he's been here for six years because of all the crap that he's had to go through as a player on the court and all the losses that he's had to endure despite his best efforts. Someone that committed to John Gross and stuck with it after Brad Underwood came here. He's not really a junior. He feels like more like a fifth-year senior, and lucky us, we get him for another year after this. If Trent needs to make a big three, do you trust him in these two games? I do. Andres Feliz. Whoa. Someone that is writing his own story that by the time the season's over, and when we're looking back on it from afar, hopefully fondly, five, ten years from now, we're going to say, God dang, Andres Feliz was a beast his senior year. He is a man. Another guy who's a man is Kofi. And I want to get to a situation in these games with Maryland and Michigan State where you don't need to rely on Kofi to be a superstar. And you've shown that you can win even in the games where Kofi's not great. At Michigan, Kofi was bad. Didn't matter. You won. Now at home, maybe Kofi can just be, oh, okay. Just be the presence down low. Maybe not have 20 and 10, but he gives you 12 and 6, 12 and 8. I think that might be enough from him. The question marks, Georgie, he's struggling. But maybe he's due for that Georgie game that we saw a couple times last year. You look at Kipper. I love the role that he's taken. But he does need to maybe hit a shot or two when you're playing the big boys like Maryland and Michigan State. You have DeMonte. I mean, I guess just be the defensive stopper because I can't really count on him, nor can anybody, to score. And that's too bad, though I, I know that that place is going to erupt if he scores. And I can envision, and maybe I should timestamp this too in case it actually happens. I'll look smart if it does. I can envision a late-game situation sort of like Camp at Iowa where you put a game away and it's DeMonte with the steal and the transition dunk and that place, the roof blows right off of it. The wild card, of course, is Alan Griffin, who looked good and spurts at Iowa, still makes the occasional mistake that makes you scratch your head, but he also was capable of making the three. There's your eight. You don't need to venture outside of that eight. Tev, he's a non-factor this year. That might be okay. You got a month and a half left of basketball. Maybe you don't need any more than an eight-man rotation. And a lot of the best teams hell, in Illinois history, have had a pretty small rotation. Each guy brings something different to it, and you're starting to see lineup combinations that work better now, certainly, than they did in December and January. Is it a perfect team? No. Is it a flawed team? Absolutely. Still not a good shooting team from long range. But when you play defense and rebound like they do, you don't have to be great, and on those nights where they fall, all of a sudden what might be otherwise a 5-point win can turn into a 15-point win. See the Purdue game. At Purdue. So I love the ceiling. I like that the floor is naturally raised because the defense is doing what they're doing. And in two home games coming up, if you get that defense consistently and couple that with the home crowd that you're going to see, absolutely bananas, home crowd environments, then I got to think they go 2-0. and And I've been trying to be very careful about this and not fall into that easy trap of riding the wave and just inevitably thinking, well, they're going to win. I mean, just because that's what's got to happen. Or trying to shield myself from the possibility that they might lose. It's true, they might. 
but I don't see it. So for me on Friday, as I wake up, I've already got my day planned at school. We're going to watch a Simpsons episode, which uh, it is school appropriate. The rest, a kid actually asked, is it okay that we watch this, Mr. Carpenter? I said, hey, I have seen all these episodes about 10, 11, 12 times. This episode is at least school appropriate. So we're going to do that Friday because my mind won't be in a place where I can probably give them, you know, 15, 20 minutes of instruction without deviating to, oh my God, there's a game tonight. Oh my God, there's a game tonight. Going to get off school at three and it's like, do I come home and immediately make a spicy biscuit, a little captain and diet to kind of ease the nerves because I know that they are going to be flying on Friday. And that when I wear my Illini gear to school, it's like, I want to tell these kids, you don't understand because you're 11, 12 years old, but this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And that is kind of heartbreaking. These kids are not super into Illinois sports. I don't see Illini apparel, to be honest, on like any of them, any of them. But it does take time to get that new generation, if you want to call it that. And I think that if you continue to win games, Illinois basketball becomes cool. Kids will start wearing it. You know, they wear what's cool. And Illinois basketball can become cool again. So if they ask that question on Friday, I don't know where to begin. I've already won 50 minutes here on this podcast, and I could probably go 50 minutes telling them about why Illinois basketball means as much as it does to me, or for the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of other people, and to be honest, probably a few million. I mean, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Millions of fans that will be watching Friday night, whether they're at the stadium or they're watching it on TV, and hoping beyond hope that Illinois seizes this moment. If they do... Can you imagine the feeling on Wednesday morning, sitting at 10-3 and in conference, having beaten two consecutive top 10 teams at home, and establishing yourself, I mean, skip just making the tournament. We're talking seeding now. A four seed in the NCAA tournament, they do those two things. And also giving yourself a little bit of breathing room where you can go to Penn State or go to Rutgers, and neither would be a must-win if you want to stay in that Big Ten race. Can you imagine the feeling? And one thing I've said kind of jokingly in these last live podcasts that we've done is, yeah, but what if they win? What if? I felt that during the Iowa game. I would have loved to have known what it felt like to go to the Super Bowl party afterwards at 9-2 and in conference with a full game lead on anybody else and beating those stupid Hawkeyes. And I hope you enjoyed the catharsis of that podcast because I really hate that basketball program and the state didn't look so good in the caucuses either. I find that kind of funny. But... How, let's flip that back. As, as fun as the catharsis is and you know, kind of sharing in our distaste for Iowa basketball or any time that Illinois loses, I'd much rather come here next Wednesday or Thursday, whenever it may be, and just <sighs> the audio, the, the podcast equivalent of <sighs> we did it. I would be interested to see what you Illinois fans think, you know, and we'll, we'll be tweeting about it and this will be a communal experience almost on Friday as people are reacting live to it. This is the first time with the Twitter generation, so to speak, where we get to share in that huge Illini game. This is the biggest Illini game in some time. You'd probably have to go back to John Gross's first year when you played Miami in the second round. I don't know if there's been a bigger game since. And I try to avoid hyperbole. I try to avoid superlatives when they don't need to be out there. But man, doesn't it feel that way? Like this is it. And that if you win these two games, you're going to have a great year. I mean, it's just plain and simple. You win these two games. We know this team one isn't going anywhere. And two will have by all accounts, a great third year for Brad Underwood and reestablish something. So yeah, not trying to talk myself out of it. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my head. I feel like if you're a Maryland fan, you watch that game Friday night and think, all right, I mean, maybe we can steal a win. Just like I felt watching Illinois and Iowa. Well, maybe we can steal a win tonight. And that's the Big Ten. If you're a road team, you go wherever it may be and think maybe we can steal a win. You go to Illinois now, number 20 in the nation, which I think is an appropriate ranking. And if you're Maryland or Michigan State, you're thinking, okay, I mean, you know, we play a good game, get some bounces, we can win this. But they certainly are not going to be coming in Friday or Tuesday thinking, ah, oh, we got this. Come on. Come on. I don't think they would be, at least. And if you're Maryland, you especially don't have a reason after that game in December when Illinois should have won. If you're Michigan State, maybe more so with how that game transpired. But, man, the way this Illinois defense has been going and seeing what Wisconsin did to Michigan State, I'm thinking, God, can't the tra transitive property just work here? We beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Wisconsin smoked Michigan State at Wisconsin. So, therefore, right now, we're 20 points better than Michigan State. It ain't that easy, unfortunately. I wish it were, but that would take away the fun of actually watching the 40 minutes of game 
and getting into the ebbs and flows, taking the punches from Maryland and Michigan State, and responding right back. This team has done a remarkable job of taking those punches, even at Iowa, and I know ultimately they got a haymaker with that four-point swing there, but that was also self-inflicted. And it does feel like when Illinois has not gotten in their way, they went on the seven-game win streak. They didn't really make those sort of mistakes. And if they can avoid that here on Friday and Tuesday night, I think they'll be okay. All right. Well, got to thank DP Doe and Fourth and Kirby, State Farm Major Brian Hansen. As Illinois wins on Friday night, you should celebrate with a calzone from DP Doe. Maybe go to Cam's. They got that new location. And it's right there at the corner of First and Green. So then you walk right over to DP Doe, get your calzone, call it a night. I'm hoping to celebrate wholeheartedly after that Illinois-Maryland game. Fourthandkirby.com. A reminder that if you go to fourthandkirby.com, spell it out, fourth, F-O-U-R-T-H, and kirby.com. The coupon code is 200LEVEL, 200LEVEL. If you put the in front of it, it still works. 10% off your purchase at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com for all your life, auto, home, renters, business insurance needs, visit online at brianismyguy.com. So thank you, all sponsors. This was a bonus podcast. I felt compelled to come down here and sort of wax poetic about Illinois basketball as we are on the eve of the moment against Maryland. This is not your typical pregame podcast. So if you're listening to this Thursday at work or Friday on your way to the game, I know it's not really breaking down the matchups of Illinois, Maryland. Not what we do here, and I think listeners understand that. We're a very macro kind of podcast. We had so much fun with these last few live podcasts, three of them really successful. We won those games. One of them, you did win at Iowa, but it was still fun to do. Good to get the feedback. I appreciate some of that from listeners uh, and finding out about your listening habits. You know, is it okay to listen to a live podcast after a loss? Yeah, apparently it is, and a lot of people enjoyed that, and hopefully I didn't go too overboard on the distaste for white scrappy basketball players but boy do they really tick me off illinois fortunately doesn't really have any of those so i don't need to get annoyed with any illinois players maryland and michigan state you know i look at those two teams and there's not really a distaste for them i don't want to lose i don't want to lose but losing to them doesn't have the same sort of emotional as when you lose to iowa so there is that if you do lose a game if i if i give you one silver lining in losing either one of these games at home it's not iowa And I tell you what, that March 8th game at home, oh, I mean, there could be a lot on the line, potentially a Big Ten title on the line. Iowa could even be vying for a Big Ten title, or they could play spoiler. And I just want to come out and kick the absolute crap out of Iowa. Oh my God, so badly. But you know, we'll get there when we get there. That's well over a month away. For now, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that, you know, as you're reflecting probably on your journey in these last 10 years, and what a, what a trip, what a long way to get back to where you want to get. But I feel like we're about there. And these two games are moments that I hope we all get to talk about years into the future. That five-day stretch in Champaign, when you had Maryland and Michigan State come to town, and you took care of business in both. And a really good team is a team that just takes care of business. Top 20 Illinois, an appropriate ranking. They've earned every bit of it. They can earn that top 15 ranking and a top four seed in the NCAA tournament in the next five days. Do they do it? Like I said, I, I like our chances. I do. And I can't wait to be a part of it in the stadium. Happy to pay top dollar on StubHub because this is, I hope it's a life moment, you know, as a sports fan at least. A sports life fan moment, whatever you want to call it, that we get to keep in our back pocket for the rest of our lives. Just the same way that I do the Paint the Whole Orange game in 2001 or the Wake Forest game in 2005. These events that you get to be in attendance for, that you get to participate in, and that you will tell people, man, you will not believe that that stadium was so loud that night and people were so into it. Man, uh, I'm hoping that's exactly what happens. So for our sponsors, DP Doe, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, Fourth and Kirby, for Champagne Showers Podcast Network, uh, Lana Inquirer, what we'll probably do is come back on Saturday with myself and Trevor and Isaac for essentially a post-game show. We aren't going to do a live post-game show because we hope to be busy celebrating and imbibing either at a local establishment or just watching the highlights on our own TV. Uh, But we want to come back Saturday and respond to what we hope is a triumph. Next week, the game is on Tuesday against Michigan State, probably looking at either a Wednesday or Thursday. Not sure. We'll we'll let you all know what the schedule looks like for next week because I got a big gig coming up with the band and 
Yeah, that gets tricky, but we'll get it done. We will get it done because this is something that we will need to respond to, and we are looking forward to bringing that to all of you. So for our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this sort of bonus podcast as I rambled for about an hour. I don't. I hope it's compelling or, you know what, I more than that instead of compelling because that's so subjective. I hope that you can relate. It's been a long time coming. We belong. We deserve this. Now let's go out and do it. So when I see you next on Saturday, may it be a triumphant podcast on the 200 level with Isaac and Trevor as we recap a huge win against number nine, Maryland. Until then, safe travels to the game. Enjoy it. Get good and liquored up. Bring the energy. It's going to be crazy in there. And you know where to find me. Of course, my dad and I will be sitting in the 200 level.